0: Hello and welcome back, it's Luke here, Um, we are together uh, with Emma uh, to talk about the, um, well some interesting stuff on values largely um, and how Emma helps organisations. Thanks for tuning in to listen and I'll ask Emma to just give us a little bit of intro and background to you, that's okay.
1: Yep, hi Luke, thanks. So Emma Cantor, I run a business called Mind Values Leadership um, my background is 17 plus, I'm not willing to admit how many, <laughs> uh, years uh, in HR. Uh, found myself uh, being made redundant four years ago, um, sort of looking it out, going what on earth do I do next and decided to set up my own business supporting individuals and businesses to understand a bit more about their values, um, a little bit about how our mind works actually as well um, mm-hmm. and how that shows up in leadership. Um, and I do that through coaching, leadership development and team facilitation.
0: Cool. And where were you before?
1: So I worked for British Gas and Centrica for, oh, okay. for that long period of time that we don't talk about.
0: Cool. Okay, that's good. Um, values.
1: Yes. How
0: do people understand them? I always find, and I know the first question I'm off peace, piece, but values is one of those things in which when you ask someone what are your values, they really struggle to answer it. Yeah. Often, I find.
1: So, uh, values for most of us can be unconscious to who we are, um, and yet they inform quite a lot about decisions that we make, choices that we make. I kind of think about them a little bit like fingerprints. They're things that we have grown up and um, lived with, which have shaped who we are and what we stand for. Um, And they're things that are, that kind of we really, really value, and I know I'm using value to explain values, yeah, yeah, yeah. but but are really important. What so you care about, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I'll give you an example honesty to me is really, really important. Um, and I make a decision about who I work with, um, who I hang out with from a friendship perspective based on honesty, yeah. And if you breach that honesty, that's a really big deal,
0: yeah, yeah, okay. No, I completely understand, and how, um. Values in the context of being subconscious. How much do our values shape some of like the unconscious biases that we are hearing about a lot in the hiring process at the moment? Because you, I often think of values being really positive things. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I, and they are. But you also have a tendency, particularly if you pick up the recruitment process, to look for people like you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it is an unconscious bias, um, if you're not aware of them. Yeah. Um. So. So yes, it, it can it can be challenging and also we mimic each other's values in an organisational sense because we want to feel like we belong. Yeah. Even though they might not necessarily be ours in their ch- own true life.
0: Yeah, okay. Interesting. So now your focus is on um, putting values at the heart of leadership, mm-hmm. I guess. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah. Um, so how, how do you... How do you... I guess this might sound uh, silly, but how do you convince people that they need this? Like, how, how do people understand, because culture is well understood, but how as a leader do I say, I'm going to give you some of my money because I need to understand this better? How, how do you get people around
1: so honestly, normally people come to me because a value or a number of values have been trodden on and or disrespected. Okay. They don't feel great about it. They they won't articulate it in the way that I've articulated it. But yeah. um and they 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 don't appreciate it and they want to understand what's happened. Yeah. Um and so I do work with them to actually make those subconscious values conscious. Yeah. And then we really quickly identify why they feel that inner uncomfortableness. Yeah. Is because they recognise that some, a situation that's happened or a circumstance that's happened has completely walked across a value or two of theirs. And they don't like it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Interesting. And how how often do you see so brand for me as a couple of components, which is, normally what do you stand for? And what do you stand for is your purpose and your value set and your belief system that got you to the point in which you are. Um, for me, in the process of picking a job, um, the brand that you want to work for plays a really strong story in do you connect with them at a values level? But often when people get into the organisation, the value system, the culture, if you like, is really different to what they imagined it to be. Yeah. How do you help leaders bridge that gap?
1: well, wow, that's a that's a big old question. Yes yeah, so yeah, thanks <laughs> for that. Um, I think there's two, there's two, there's two things that come up for me when you talk. one which is uh, is the organization does the organization deliberately have that culture so have they, have they thought through that's the culture they want?
0: Yeah,
1: um, because if they have, then I think it's a question about well why are you saying one thing on the outside and you've got something completely different on the inside if they're not aware of it then I think it's about how do you how do you raise that awareness so that there's choices to make yeah. about how you adapt the culture? Yeah. Um, and, and the kind of added piece that I would, if I were sitting in your shoes asking the question, <laughs> is because you talked about brand and then culture, but also then there's a bunch of people that yeah. are all that also have different values, yeah, and that creates even more chaos and confusion because how I treat you on a one-to-one basis might be different from how I feel about the organisation, which then might be different again to what you're telling me is the brand on an external basis.
0: Yeah, so if the, I think of values as a sense of collective experiences Mm -hmm. in how you would talk about the brand, Um, given that most of the time in which we spend with people that effectively become the representation of the organisation and its culture, Mm Is organisational culture in its entire sense within a company even real anymore? Sorry, that's maybe bigger than <laughs> that's the. Last quite, one. That's quite.
1: That's uh, quite. Uh, so that's uh, quite uh, out there. May, think...
0: Maybe the, uh, uh, another layer to that is um, like macro change initiatives, mm-hmm. organisation wide, versus like micro initiatives to drive relevancy in those that you interact with in a like an organisational network sense.
1: Wow, well, mind blown! Um, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's okay. Mind blown. Um, I think where where my where my head goes to when you ask that question actually is, I think we I think we talk about culture as something that we've got full control over,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that we can design like a product. Yeah. Realistically, i I don't think that's true. It's a collection of individuals who come together and behave in a certain way towards each other. Yeah, that becomes the way of working and how we do things about it. which yeah. is culture. So is it real? Depends which piece you're questioning, which is real. There might be an articulation, yeah, which could be real because that might be what your dream is.
0: yeah,
1: but reality. is is the true kind of depth of the realness for me which is is that what I feel every single day when I'm touching the organisation and having an experience with it
0: yeah and I I think the opportunity that your work does in leadership is to create um, these pockets that then become representative as a whole if there's alignment at the top Mm -hmm. Um, how often do you see leaders in organisations that have one set of things that they stand for have really different things at the next tier down
1: Uh, so it's unusual to have completely different yeah because what we normally what, what i normally see is that the tone that's set by the senior leadership team kind of the top team in an organization whipples through yeah because we want to belong and we want to prove to those people yeah. that we're doing a good job yeah. and so it's kind of like that mimic factor I kind of copy you or I mimic you yeah. because that's how I create a connection with you and I make you feel like we we belong together yeah um it's for me it's more around and, and this is what I try to do is hold the mirror up and go are you aware yeah, yeah, yeah. this is how you're making people feel and this is what people are reading into that even yeah. from language like the, the words that we choose and the way we express ourselves are our values coming up time and time again. Yeah. So actually the difference I normally see is we've expressed an aspiration or a view on what our culture is, yeah. and yet all of the top leaders don't act in that way at all. Yeah. And that that's where I quite often have lots of conversations with leaders around why is your engagement survey saying what it's saying, and we don't have trust in top team, um, and those sorts of things all driven from that gap and we're trying to explain that gap in our mind
0: yeah cool and as a um, I'll come back to this question actually Um,
1: (laughs) I'm worried now about that question (laughs) sorry
0: (laughs) Um, so it would be good to know if you've got anything that um, would help organisations kind of thread their values through the experience that their people have and and A kind of part A and a part B to that would be what are the things in which process can give them reasonably high levels of control of and what are the things in which you can't like the people interactions that you have?
1: Yeah, okay. Um, So I'm not big on process when it comes to values, leadership and culture.
0: Okay.
1: But partly because we work for people. Yeah. Um... And actually, it's about the connection that we have with each other, which is way more important than the process. So I'll use performance management as a really obvious um, example. Yeah. There are plenty of tools and processes out there around performance management. But ultimately, it's about having a conversation between me and my boss or whoever is relevant in, in the moment to understand what I'm doing well. Where I could do better, and what does the future look like? Yeah, and and that's not a that's not a process in my mind. It's it, and we've we've made it something more complicated, I believe, with a lot of the processes that are in existence. Yeah, because we want to calibrate performance or whatever it might be, and we've moved it away from fundamentally. It's a connection and a conversation.
0: Yeah, so we talk a lot about relationships, yeah. and we talk a lot yeah. about emotional connection versus rational connection, mm-hmm. um, and for me, emotional connection is where you get high levels of engagement, yeah. and rational con- connection is effectively your employment contract, mm-hmm. in which you're obliged to give a certain level of effort in return for a certain amount of money. Um, why Why do you think so many people just don't get it, though, still? like. And it's almost like work as an education system has told us to be rational and objective and not seek connections, such that people come on a journey with you.
1: Um, is it because connections are harder? Possibly. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know whether I know the answer to your question. Um, I think. Enabling, enabling those connections requires a deeper level of effort on everyone's behalf. Yeah. Whereas I can sit and write in a spreadsheet a tool or a, a technique yeah. um, and can feel like I've achieved something. I, I kind of often ask myself the question, am I trying to genuinely fix something that's hard in the organisation? Yeah. And if I am, it probably requires a system or a tool or a technique. So yeah. if I need to produce a balance balance sheet, yeah probably that's probably where I'm gonna need to go. But if it's about a person, nine out of ten times it's actually a soft thing that we're looking for. Yeah. And that's probably a conversation or an experience or in your words a moment. Yeah. (coughs) Yeah. That's required. Yeah. And yet we get those two confused and feel like we can adopt the hard and the soft and the soft and the hard.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much of it for me is just about time and attention. Mm -hmm. Like as human beings we're reasonably needy, like of human connection, Mm because it's the way that we've survived, right? So, yeah, okay, cool.
1: And it takes thought and potentially feels like it's going to be more time-consuming longer term. Yeah. And arguably, you'd say if you invested the time on an ongoing basis, it would probably reap way more rewards than the quick and easy process.
0: Yeah, it's the little and often stuff, right, that makes a difference um, without all of the emphasis on focus on all the hard stuff yeah okay interesting well um given what we're talking about in terms of values and the cascade of how that feels and influences your experience um in the organization as a person how how do hr i guess facilitate or enable or make make it better
1: So there's an implied, there's an implication in your question that it's their responsibility.
0: Yeah, so I, I, I feel sorry for HR often, because if you look at a board table, very often, as soon as culture comes up, or as soon as engagement comes up, the finger gets pointed across the table to the HR person, when actually it's everybody's job, because it's relative to the experience that you have and the interactions that you have, and... Yeah, I can't. The hard bit is, it's not their job,
1: no. right? Yeah.
0: But the expectation of them making it better is there.
1: Yeah, and I think I think therefore there's an interesting sort of de- debate to be had, which is if you keep filling in that space, it's your responsibility. Then you're then it's going to become a team's responsibility in the organisation to fix or yeah. develop. I, I kind of lean towards the, maybe they're custodians or sponsors, but actually yeah. rather than take full accountability and responsibility for it, it's actually about influencing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's actually about holding the mirror up. It's about um, helping everyone to take responsibility for it mm-hmm. um, in a way where you're not going to sweep in and run the engagement survey, tell everyone
0: what's the issues and then fix them as a result at the end. Yeah, and I I often think they've got a really hard job to do because there's the legacy is a power dynamic problem in which the operational or revenue generating components of the organisation have had a lot of power, Mm -hmm. and HR has rightly so got the seat at the right level now, in many cases. But it's almost that it needs to flip all the way the other way such that the accountability for doing things wrong or inappropriate or in a way that could be done better needs to be people orientated. Like if people aren't making a conscious people first choice, Mm HR is going to continue to have that struggle. So even though it's there to enable or to hold the mirror up, how do they they get to that? Mm -hmm. And is that at the heart of your work? Like with a CEO really championing the people agenda. Yeah,
1: so I I obviously kind of secure some of my work through the HR routes. Yeah. Um, and and many of my ex colleagues who I work with are consequently from HR, but ninety percent of my client facing work is yeah. not with HR people. Yeah. It's with MDs, it's with commercial leaders, it's it's with the people that ultimately are responsible for the people, yeah. lead the people influence the people, um, because that's where the impact's going to be had.
0: Yeah. And where, so we often talk about the term of emotional maturity, mm-hmm. which is acknowledging that people make decisions both rationally and emotionally. And where do you think we are in the gauge in understanding that emotion is driving a huge number of the decisions that we make at work every day? From a people leader perspective, And then also from a HR trying to support the leadership team.
1: So my instinct tells me, and and I'm basing this on some work I'm doing at the moment from an emotional intelligence perspective, is generally as a society, I'm not talking about just in business, feelings aren't really the thing to do. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's interesting how when someone expresses a feeling in the public domain, the yeah. reaction that they get. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure that we're that sophisticated in that feeling space that you're talking about.
0: So I, I, I challenge that. Go on. Um, in that um, connection, belonging, appreciation of contribution has been like fundamental to human development in the mm. way that communities have existed In areas like the military, camaraderie has been like Mm. the thing that connects people and causes them to survive or die. And in sport, if you play football, it's kind of fine to show absolute passion for the team in which you support. So the context in most of the things in society that we either admire or have acknowledged as The contribution to our success commitment in a football team or saving someone else's life and their commitment to them they're all emotional factors right
1: yeah but what you're expressing in my my mind are behaviours that we interpret as feelings where I was going at it was do those individuals genuinely if you said to them tell me what the feeling is that you you are experiencing right now could they articulate it And I asked it in a workshop, actually, two days ago. We had a group of 24 people in the room and said, express how you're feeling right now. Uh, There were probably five people in the room that could give the feeling that they had in them right then a word to express it.
0: Rather than good or bad. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so they could
1: say, I feel content. Yeah. Or I feel calm. Yeah. The rest of the group just kind of sort of looked at us and went, what do you mean? How am I feeling? <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah. And it's because we don't... We ask it on a personal level. So if I was going to the pub with a mate, I'd go, how are you... I probably wouldn't say, how are you feeling, actually. I'd go, how are you doing? Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Interesting choice in terms of the doing word, right? Yeah. Um, but we would get... We might get into a feelings conversation. Yeah. Whereas in the workplace, I'm not sure that's as consistent.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah, because you ask, how are you... Yeah. But especially in, like, British culture, it's just...
1: I'm it, okay, thanks. It's
0: basically a polite interaction, right, yeah. rather than a genuine ask.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, okay, interesting.
1: Can um, I ask, answer your full question? Because did you ask me about an HR site?
0: Yeah, the, yeah, so there's the, how does the leader help the situation, and then okay. what's the job of the HR person? Yeah, I, I, I'm debating in my head whether I know the answer to
1: the...
0: That second piece. So, so the, the the challenge in responsibility is a clear reason for existence, right? Yeah. So, if you have a clear reason for existence, but very limited ability to control, no ability to control, and reasonably limited ability to influence, as an industry, why, why would anyone? You, anyone as take as an industry, it do you just need to give it up and say that it, it's it's a business problem? But then where does that leave HR like what does HR do if all of the strategic position stuff of culture and engagement is is given back to the business or rightly just reallocated to where it probably should be in responsibility and then the business has to hold a mirror up to itself
1: and, and maybe there's a hybrid of both yeah yeah maybe where where leaders have some level of experience and tools and, and capability in that space but then for the more complex scenarios that you come across you've yeah. then got a, a team of experts sat within the HR community from whom you can gain insight, advice, guidance.
0: Yeah. There's a there's for me there's a huge enablement opportunity yeah. because people are generally bad at this stuff. Um, but there is there's I'm kind of in between at the moment of you kind of gotta be careful of what you wish for in the sense of we want all of this responsibility, but with no ability, you're kind of are you setting yourself up to fail yeah. if you're not clear on your job to be done as a HR person? It's really tough.
1: Yeah.
0: Um so we often um, we often enter into the conversations of millennials because in the workplace um millennials are perhaps well, positioned in two ways. One is um, that they are joining organisations for clarity of purpose and values alignment, which in this conversation is really interesting, but are also um, deemed more needy to an extent, because I get called a millennial all the time and needy all the time, and it does not head in. Um, so you've got a reason to join, which in my mind is bridging to then someone being more needy, but is actually just talking about a level of expectation that you've set up front anyway. It would be really interesting to get your view on millennials and whether they're any different from anybody else. Um, And two, uh, whether you could give us a sense on whether there's any particular strategies, therefore, that would be better at um, engaging them.
1: So what your listeners won't have seen was when you use the word millennials, I instantly smiled. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'll explain that because you saw it. <laughs> um, I have a, I guess, a tendency to dislike broad descriptors for population groups. Yeah,
0: put, put people in a box. Yeah,
1: um, and the reason I dislike it is because, just because you happen to have been born between a certain year and another certain year does not determine that you are like every other single person that has been has been born in that same period of time yes I totally get there will be trends yeah but I know for myself I don't actually behave very much like the um, group I should be in I'm actually probably more akin to another so the reason I don't like them necessarily is because I actually think they misinform if you take them on face value yeah whereas actually in a employment environment and in a a kind of business environment what 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 i want if i was employed and probably what you would want is actually to be treated as an individual human being who has wants and needs and kind of values and all sorts of different things and I don't want a cookie cutter that cuts it out and gives me this way. This is the way it's done here. Yeah. I actually want to feel that you get me as an individual and you're willing to be flexible and adaptable to what I need.
0: This is going to be a hard one. How do do you then deal with that at scale? So a big challenge for me in what we attempt to do, because we don't, we rely on consistency because process orientation and clarity and consistency across an organisation is deemed a good thing, but individuality in uh, cultures and leadership styles, we've talked about, we're breaking that as soon as we've said it because the leaders have a really different approach often and a level of understanding and maturity and the way they deal with things. Um, So how... How, given that scale normally requires consistency, do you create a level of individuality that doesn't become diluted or generalist for the masses? How does that really work?
1: So, um, I can't say I have personal experience of it. Okay. I can say that I have personal experience of organisations, not just the one I worked for, but also the ones that. I've had contact with since running my business where I think my observation would be because we're trying to do everything at scale, we engineer everything. Yeah. So it feels like I'm a I could be a computer chip in a computer <laughs> rather yeah. than actually a human being yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in a business. So I think where I go to is work out what the bare minimum is you need for consistency. Yeah. Um you're not you're not Building a, a structure from an employment perspective where you're trying to avoid the, one, the one-offs. the one Yeah. Actually, what you're trying to do is create an environment where everyone can exist and do their job in a successful way so that 100% of the time, hopefully, you don't have those one-offs. Yeah. And I think what we tend to do is create processes and procedures that are managing for those one-offs. Yeah. And actually all you're doing is penalising the 99 the, others. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so I would go and kind of peel everything back and then say, okay, where, where might we be getting it wrong? Yeah. Where we might need consistency. Yeah. Um, and kind of build it up from that perspective. The other piece, go and ask your employees. They'll tell you. Yeah. So do they need a fifty five page computer use <laughs> policy, for example? I mean extreme exaggeration there, but yeah. no, they probably don't and they probably haven't read it. <laughs> um, and they probably couldn't tell you where it was. Until they're in a disciplinary before yeah. it yeah. yeah. and ultimately that's not what you want, is it? Yeah. You just want some really simple rules of engagement around I kinda have a work around here and then hopefully it's just the one opposite
0: What what role do values play in that?
1: From a business
0: perspective? I guess um, <laughs> in the 50 page policy document yeah. um, for me is a counter to the belief that values exist. Mm-hmm. So we over-engineer process yeah. in the absence or belief in yeah. a value system. Yeah. So does an organisation have to have a strong value system that's very evident in the experiences that people have first? Or can they just trust people? It's easier in our zone, we're a reasonably small company, growing really quickly around policies because they can be really light and they can be really small and an expense policy can be much like a Netflix that says just don't be stupid, please. Yeah. Um, but when you're at scale and you've got 10,000 people around the world, like how... How much? Where do you rely, process or values?
1: Uh, I'm obviously going to tend towards values, right? Yeah. And What I do, um, but in
0: practice.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a balance of both. Um, I think ultimately, a huge business is is in essence just a multitude of your size business yeah. rolling up. So yeah. it just takes leaders or teams to take responsibility to create the environment where someone doesn't submit that expense claim that that rages. Yeah. And if they do, I'm keeping an eye out and I'll come and have a conversation with you and go, mm, that's not really appropriate around right
0: here. <laughs> yeah.
1: Rather than um, having potentially a machine that sits behind and yeah. you get your expense claim pinged back with a rejected, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, yeah. Um, I have heard stories <laughs> of that happening, yeah. with no explanation, just... Rejected. Resubmit. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and and that's not an experience anyone wants to um, have. have. It's like yeah. going to the tube and trying to put your ticket in and <laughs> <laughs> and, and that feels really rubbish because then there's 10 other people <laughs> stood behind you going, come on, I want to yeah, get on the tube. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's where I go to, which is, like, create some process, obviously, yeah. but ensure that the human element is there so that if we do trip up, we've got that backstop. Yeah, goes, I
0: understand, I understand it, but drive it through the values. And if it's driven through the values, which is largely disassociated from HR because it's values of the leader driving, in the context of this again, which is where the processes often come from would be deemed as HR or legal or centrally, yeah. like what? what does HR do to add value to that process? How do they make it better rather than be the police, you know, the policeman or the policewoman that comes along and says, you didn't do that bit right because it says over here that it does this? Like, how do you create more of an environment in which the value systems can be consistent enough so that in a large organization, the brand experience is still there but is different and unique enough that the leaders still can maintain what is important to them? Yeah, value. I,
1: I think it's about that. Putting yourselves in the shoes of the employee and really thinking about how does that process or policy feel yeah. if I'm on the receiving end of it yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
1: and if it doesn't feel in keeping with what we're trying to create as our culture or the value set that we're trying to um, embrace then it probably needs to be working. Yeah, yeah. Um. So if one of your values, for example, was people focused and you had the rejected expense lane, you might go, Yeah, that's probably yeah. not fit for purpose. Yeah. But I think it's about playing that role, which goes, Actually, here's what our employees are telling us. Here's, here's perhaps something that doesn't quite work with that. Let's refocus it, yeah. strip it right back, yeah. and then build it from that really bare basics of what we absolutely need as an organization.
0: Yeah. So it, when you keep talking about the slight design process, it Keeps reminding me of um, so Airbnb has a design process. I don't know if you've heard about this. About it. This is about an 11 star experience because mm-hmm. they're effectively in the hospitality world. Mm-hmm. They look at like what would a one star experience be, what would a two star experience be, what would five star look like, and all the way up to 11. And I, I often wonder how we, we talk a lot about like um, data being used in HR. But it seems like there's like a load of design thinking that isn't really been either popularized or important to the world of HR mm-hmm. in the way in which they think about designing experiences for people yeah. like I don't know if that's because all the hypes come from data or the education system is the legal system and employment law or, or what I don't, I don't I think, any I ideas on that I
1: think it's probably how. Function and the industry from an HR perspective has evolved. Right,
0: okay. so,
1: so remember, probably it was only 50, 60 years ago, yeah. HR was really the payroll function. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. make sure that people get a pay step and, and their money, please. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um,
1: and we find ourselves now having kind of in a very different place where we're trying to create you know, an engaged workforce and yeah. experiences for employees um and yet if I think about my training in inverted yep. commerce, yeah, yeah, yeah. um around how I became an HR person data wasn't actually there no um design thinking wasn't there yeah employee experience like I don't even remember those two words coming <laughs> together employee <Yeah>. and experience <laughs> yeah yeah um so I think the the answer is it's evolving c- quicker yeah than. The, the kind of guardrails are they guardrails but the the um, way in which you develop as an HR person yeah um, and so it's about keeping up I, I kind of go to there are other functions in businesses that that probably have some of these skill sets like marketing yeah like depending on the business that you're working with, you might have an innovation team yeah who actually Get them in your team, get them working with HR because yeah, they've yeah. probably got some disruption that they could create that could have a massive amount of value to add from that employee experience perspective.
0: Yeah, so we have Monzo on and Monzo um, operate in an um, agile structure where they have data scientists and engineers mm-hmm. with the people team. And I know it's if you're growing as fast as they are, you, you have the money to be able to do it. But like the, the thinking is so different to some of the traditionalists, like, you still see the job title, Personnel. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's crazy. Um, I've got two more questions for you. Go on, Liz. Um So, we talk about our proposition being focused on creating moments, which is mm-hmm. essentially experiences, to bring people closer together and to strengthen relationships. Um, it'd be really good for me to understand how you think about, in your work and the team facilitation element of what you do, How you bring people together, strengthen relationships, and uh, how you articulate the value of that to the company.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's start with the first part of that question. Uh, Ultimately, a lot of the work that I do in team facilitation pends around trust. Yeah. And what it takes in a working environment to build, develop, Maintain, strengthen, trust, on an individual le- level, and then on a team level, because there'll be ten people in a team. Every relationship will have a different degree of trust between them, um, and the team is only as weak as probably the, the weakest relationship. Yeah. So I do a lot of work with um, teams focused on that, um, and kind of raising their awareness ultimately to trust what is it kind of how does it form what are yep. some of the things that we take into account when um we are determining whether someone is trustworthy or not um also to enabling experiences that develop trust yeah um, so that's that's kind of how i focus on it from a team facilitation point of view remind me of the second part of the question
0: uh, so the second part was, how, do you, how did the organisation understand the value of it? Yeah. Um, but before understanding the value, there's probably a, what is the organisation's role, given what you've shared, mostly centres around trust, in teams. Because most of my experiences in the organisation's influence over trust in a team is negative. And what I mean by that is there's a cost reduction programme, there's a change and transformation programme, which trust for me is consistency of interactions over time so that you know what you're getting, basically. Mm -hmm. And some of these organisational movements can really break that down Mm -hmm. and it's wildly outside of your control. Um, so, for me, people are losing trust in organisations and lacking loyalty, but keeping trust and loyalty with the people. But, like, what is the organisation's role in helping to keep that true so that next week it isn't different or broken again?
1: Yeah, so ultimately, yeah. There, is, there is no organisational level of trust because yeah. an organisation is a group of people. Yeah. But there will be organisational decisions that get made that I totally get, will erode trust. Yeah. Um, I, I look at it in a slightly different way, which is, as a leader in an organisation, it's my role to combine the two. Mm-hmm. So I might have an organisational action that I need to carry out that might erode trust, but how I go about it... Will determine how much it erodes trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do I do it in a credible way? Do I am I reliable around how I'm acting through this change or whatever it might be? Have I maintained the relationship that I've got with you? Yeah. And am I demonstrating any level of um, kind of self-interest or self-promotion through yeah. that that yeah. process? And if I if I keep an eye on all of those then I, I am actively enabling the organisation to mitigate the risk of trust erosion.
0: Okay, okay, interesting. And then back to the <coughs> initial second part of the question, which is how does the organisation understand the value of um, enriching those relationships within teams? Yeah,
1: so um, I want to say nine out of ten teams, team facilitation um, things come to me Um, or I get engaged in, because a leader has identified something that's going on in the team dynamic that they don't feel equipped to be able to resolve. Okay, yeah. And it's having an impact on how effective that team is. So it might be as simple as, we don't make very good decisions, or there is a specific relationship in the group where when one or the other of them are having a conversation, everyone else takes a deep in-breath <laughs>
0: yeah. because
1: they know this is the moment where it's going to be really sticky and com- yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah. So that's why they come to me, um, usually. Not always, but most of the time. The, the, the value is, they're taking a risk when they come to anyone that's going to do team yeah, facilitation, yeah, but the value is, can you help create a different um, level of trust amongst the group Hold the mirror, because ultimately you're asking individuals in the, in the team to make a different decision about how they behave towards each other. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And do it in a way where you, ever walk away, and we're not reliant on you. Yeah. Um, and that, that's where the investment comes. So they, that and the return that they're looking for, which is we know we need someone who's got a different lens and perspective that can add some value here. But make it sustainable. But can also
0: step away so you don't become the crush to the conversation. Yeah. right? Yeah. So team effectiveness ultimately um, should lead to greater output, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. You're, my whole focus when I'm doing team effectiveness is how do I increase the performance of this team? Yeah. And it's all about the relationships and the kind of feelings, as we've talked about, and the yeah. kind of connections that everyone's got.
0: Cool. Um, the last question then is um, if you could give us a couple of tips for people listening. It's always the hard one because you have to take all of this stuff (laughs) into like three things. Um, But to give you some focus, it would be around um, improving levels of uh, employee engagement or commitment. Yeah, okay.
1: Um, So this one's an obvious one, which is, an employee's engagement level ultimately is, is significantly linked to the leader that they work for. Yeah. So, I know you're, a lot of your audience is an HR community, so I think where I would go with, with that piece is, if you know that there is a team's engagement that is lower than other teams, mm-hmm don't sweep in with a process fix <laughs> it's a go and have a conversation with the leader and understand what's going on because yeah. they might not know how to fix or resolve yeah. or look at themselves in the mirror and do something different
0: yeah
1: often though when you do have that conversation even just having the conversation actually will make a difference so someone's, yeah, yeah a self-awareness
0: problem, problem. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah so that would be one
0: it doesn't have to be three, either, by the way. No, I'm not, I don't know whether I'm going to get to three. I'm just
1: thinking about how how we've evolved all over the place. Yeah. I think there's something in here for me around... We talk so much about culture and having to define an organisation's purpose mm. and an organisation's set of values. And I don't know whether I... Sometimes I think I question whether we just forget that there are individuals in the mix of that yeah. and, and as much as you define that, um, there will be a slightly different output because of the mix of the individuals and the leaders yeah. that, that are there and just knowing that that's true Yeah. Um, and knowing that it's a little bit more complicated than doing some whiteboard or brown paper exercises yeah, and coming yeah. up with these great statements. And
0: expecting high levels of like social conformity. Yeah, and then
1: suddenly everyone is uh, wearing the same uniform <laughs> and looks all the same because they know exactly what that means. Yeah, And then the last one, and this links to uh, the values conversation, is there are some words out there that are very um, just obvious from a values perspective, so integrity or... Uh, communication or whatever it might be, and don't choose those as your values because yeah, cause values any, about
0: differentiation. Yeah, right like rather they're, than they're anyone's values. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I
1: often walk around and I get really curious about different um, brands' values and, and kind of do research. And you, you look at them and you go, "Oh, really? Yeah, you so want integrity? Yeah, doesn't everyone?"
0: <laughs> so I, I, I um, when we first started out, because a lot of like recognition activities about reinforcement behaviour, I looked at um, the FTSE 100, the Top Track 100, and the fastest growing companies within the UK. And I looked at, um, all of the values that they had disclosed on their careers website and it's like integrity, collaboration. And you're like, values are there as much about, um, the norms as they are about like really significant personality essentially in the brand. Yeah. Um, and you're like so many people get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, because being different in today's world is what gets people to join you and commit to you and motivated right rather than being the same as everyone
1: else well and it helps inform that potential new employee why they should join you whereas if you've got two organisations and they both say integrity and collaboration blah 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 how would you know yeah and you'll just go based on what it feels like when you walk in the door and you get greeted by the receptionist
0: yeah
1: whether they offer you a tea or coffee and I don't think that's what we want people to be making decisions on
0: yeah I would I would summarise that as don't be a commodity have some personality yeah i think that's
1: a great way (laughs) of summarizing it yeah
0: cool we're done